Game Boys. Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Game Boys <laughs> podcast. It's me, your host, Lux, and with me, as always, he just came back from picking a bunch of freshly grown tomatoes. It's Griffin Davis. Freshly grown tomatoes. Not a reference. Uh, I'm looking at my kitchen table. Oh, okay. Well, how am I supposed to guess that? I don't then? know when you these... thought this became a guessing game. It's just a way for me to make a fun, obscure, weird way to introduce you. Well, I, you know, I thought the last couple were things I could should maybe know, so I could like improv off of them. But like ten tomatoes. I mean, what am I gonna What am I gonna do with that? I mean, just make fun of me for doing a bad intro the way you're doing right now. It seems like it's going pretty okay for you. I do like the longer boys, though. I think every episode gets a little bit longer and a little bit more strained, and I'm into. It. Well, I'm trying to break that record that guy has of the longest, yeah, boy, but like for on our own terms, you know? Is, is that a Guinness World Record? I mean, I'm sure they authenticated it. That's literally the only thing they do. Like, why else? If Guinness isn't around to authenticate that, what the fuck does it exist for? Well, anyways, what's going on with you, Lux, this week? Um, not much, man. It's a Party World Wrestling season, so I'm making Party World Wrestling videos. That's very nice. Party World Wrestling, the indie Austin uh, wrestling circuit uh, that you produce and direct. Very yes. cool. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I write you playing any games one. right now? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I'm playing Slay the Spire. I also, um, my dad, when we talked to him, uh, we recently recorded a bonus mini set with my dad that y'all hear eventually. Yeah. Um, uh, he mentioned Sin was Sacrifice, so I got back into that game to try and finish that, bad, that, that nasty, nasty dog off. Sure, sure. Is that is it an actually because uh, what he's talking about is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, which is a game that simulates um, mental illness, if I'm correct. Well, it's like evokes mental illness. It's about mental evokes, illness. It like, right. It's pretty fucked up, man. You play with your headphones on and it makes you feel fucking crazy, which to be fair yeah. is like a baseline for me. But is like it way fun, worse. though? Like, is, is it yeah. fun? Yeah, it's uh, fun. It's spooky. It's spooky scary, yeah. but it's fun. Mm hmm. Um, um, well, on my side right now, I'm playing uh, the Kingdom Hearts 2 remaster. Well, you're not just uh, playing it, Griffin. What else are you doing with it? <laughs> I'm Twitch streaming it, baby. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, one of the number one streamed games on Twitch right now, Kingdom Hearts 2 remaster. <laughs> Everyone not, loves Disney uh, content. I may be the only person streaming it, um, but it's really good. It's the second time. It's the third time I've bought this game. The second time I've bought the remaster. Oh. Um, well, because I bought the remaster in 720p for the PS3, and then I came out again for the PlayStation 4 and 1080. So, uh, you know. All right. I'm just going to throw this at you. Earlier today, we talked about buying Conan Exiles to stream together, and you were like, mm, I've been buying too many video games. But you did not mention that you bought a repeat video game. Yeah, I have both copies. Well, I don't have a PS3 anymore. So what am I supposed to do? Just not play Kingdom Hearts whenever I want? That's insane, just Lux. You can't PS expect that on me. PS4 to like, be one less for a little bit. This you is know? the year that Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out, so it's very very important to me to be caught up. Oh, you gotta um, be briefed on all the lore. Yeah, I, well, I just have to be, it just has to be fresh in my brain. Um, but uh, anyways, that's all very exciting. I'm also a Twitch streamer now. I've had two people watch my Twitch stream and it felt incredible. Um, but we'll talk more about that in the future as I get that more on its feet. Uh, but we have a great guest on the show today. Um, uh, it's a it's a Lux booking this week. Um, uh, Lux, why don't you introduce the guest? Yeah, well, as, as per usual. Um, yeah, so our guest today, very special guest. Um, he's the, I guess, like founder and face of Wisecrack, the organization that pays me so I can do this podcast. Um, that's not what that's they not pay the you to do. That's not the specific <laughs> goal. It's not earmarked for that, but it facilitates the like, conditions of possibility for the podcast. Um, yeah. So he's the founder and, and host at Wisecrack. He's my boss and yours. He's Jared Bauer. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Good to be here. 
Yeah, happy to have you, man. Uh, how's it going? It's going pretty good, man. I actually decided I, I joined my old gym again, and I went and got went to the gym at 6 a.m. this morning for the first time in a very long time, and I'm pretty tired, to be nice. honest, it, you know? So it worked. They, they, they say that waking up early and working out invigorates you. I'm calling bullshit. I'm fucking yeah, that's a, exhausted. That's a bullshit lie. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, especially on the first day, though, that, that's supposed to be the day where you're where you it really reawakens you after not working out a long time. But no. Uh, well, I had worked out over the weekend, but not at 6 a.m. And mm-hmm. yeah, the 6 a.m. thing, man, I, I'm also like getting older. So I'm thinking like, oh, man, I'm an old man now. I can like, you know, I should be waking up at 6 a.m. every day anyway. So why not just work out during that time? And, yeah, but by that logic, though, you'd be asleep now. <laughs> That's an yeah, old man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it kind of yeah. makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I need a lot of sleep. So, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm out by like 1030, like every night anyway. Oh, my God. People who can sleep. I'm so envious of. I, oh, I, why? I, it's the opposite, man. I'm, I'm envious of people who don't need sleep well see you I have think more time one of those like grass is always greener situations because like i spend a lot of time being like man it would be cool if i go to bed right now but instead i guess i gotta watch season one of billions right and that's why you always are like such a sponge like you're able to uh just like consume tv and video games faster than me uh and at this rate that i just can never hope to achieve and i guess it's because you don't sleep yeah it's great for <laughs> me because i'm like hey lux have you seen and he's like yes yeah, yeah. I have a very uh, functional, I have a very functional neurotyp- uh, non neurotypical disorder. It's great. Um, I've turned, in, I've turned my disability into a weapon, much like some kind of X Man. Um, but yeah, so Jay, um, let's uh, let's talk. So you, so Wisecrack. I mean, I guess we talked about it doesn't the show. Let's, but if you want to start from the beginning, let's. Well, Jared, where are you from? Okay. I am from Houston, Texas, and I actually went to college in Austin. And so uh, when I moved very out cool. of Austin. Lux moved to Austin, and uh, now Lux is probably one of two people I know still lives in Austin. Now, Wisecrack is a website that does a lot of stuff about philosophy. Were you a philosophy major like Lux? No. I was actually a film major, a radio television film major. Uh, sure. And, and Wisecrack has evolved a lot over the years. Initially, it started out as literature, then literature and philosophy, and then like kind of well, it was like literature slash comedy, then philosophy slash video games, and then it became kind of movie criticism and comedy. And the movie criticism is really where kind of my expertise lies. And uh, basically, a long story short, I was like obsessed with The Matrix in high school, like like crazy obsessed. Um, we actually just did a, a, a podcast on the matrix yesterday and it was actually quite funny i found myself i I think i spent so much time talking to lux i'm starting to get these luxisms so the the, the luxism that i I, i've (laughs) noticed recently is that whenever i'm at a loss for words or something but it's just so good i just stop and i go ah you know what i'm talking about yeah i do do that a lot it's it's the it's the satisfaction grunt yeah it's the satisfaction grunt i've started to do that and i like it you'll fully reach the threshold when you go oh that's fucked up. That's my, that's <laughs> no, but it's a good it's a good thing because it really indicates that sometimes some things are so good that words don't do justice. So you just have to have that grunt. Yeah, it's, a, it. it's a sales technique in in a certain way. It makes it makes people pay attention. This guy is grunting over here about what he's talking about. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you necessarily understand how like a grunt is signified in culture because I don't think it's like a attractive thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, this guy's grunting at me. I better buy his t shirt. And then I guess it's something you'd say if you were scared. But like, also, also Griffin, I understand that we're neighbors. 
Yeah, so you probably just heard that horn outside your window. No, no, right no, now, I, right? I'm at the office right now, but <laughs> you live right next to, what is it? Uh, what's the hot chicken place called? Uh, well, Dave's Hot Chicken Dave's used hot to chicken. be in the parking lot, but now it's over on Santa Monica. Oh, they moved. Okay, I noticed they weren't there anymore. They got a brick and mortar. They did really well. I told Jared the story yesterday of how when we were Skyping about something, he walked through in the background. Oh, I, yeah. I don't mean to derail this conversation anymore, but have you been to Pita Hut yet? Uh, no, should I? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've driven by it. Okay, so if you're a fan of Zanku Chicken, which I am a huge fan of Zanku Chicken. Sure. Are you familiar with they have... The hummus, and then they have the garlic sauce, right? Mm -hmm. Both very good. This place, Pita Hut, they, I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still in shock. They take, they, they took, it. well, no, they took those two sauces and made it one sauce. Whoa. It's now <laughs> garlic sauce hummus. They just call it hummus, but it's sure. like it, it's like whiter, and mm. it, it, it tastes like both of them together. And I'm just I'm still in shock. I don't really know what to do with myself because those are two of my favorite <laughs> sauces, and the fact that they're both in one thing. Like I, I honestly just thought that life was too cruel, and that something so amazing couldn't ever actually be made. Like there had to be some sort of scientific reason why you couldn't make the two sauces one sauce. Cause then why wouldn't have someone done it? But they did Before. it. They yeah. did it. Yeah. There, it seems like there's so, there's so few groundbreaking food inventions left that when you come upon one, uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's like dark matter. Yeah, it'll shake yeah. the foundations <laughs> of your reality for sure. Um, yeah. Speaking of reality, so there's one Christ wise actually that seems particularly applicable to what we do here. Uh, and that's the eight bit philosophy show where you explain philosophy using sort of 8-bit video game models. And I'm, I'm, that was before my time. And I'm curious, like, how that came around, what that show sort of the genesis and development of that show was like. Sure. So um, basically, when, when the writing staff was basically just me, I, the, the reason that we were, so when we started Thug Notes, we were able to keep it going because uh, YouTube kind of this was back in the day when uh so we actually started wisecrack at a very kind of non-fortuitous time but like right on the brink of something potentially fortuitous so i don't know if you guys remember but back in like 2011 2012 youtube was writing million dollar checks to these uh branded content channels that was just saying we want to give you money and it's free fucking money to just make content so like Nerdist got <laughs> Nerdist got a couple million dollar checks ESPN wow. got million dollar checks um, um, now most of these companies failed because you know as pretty much any uh, traditional network that tried to you know move on to YouTube and they all fail um, so most of these things failed so by the time that Jacob and I started Wisecrack and you know started Thug Notes all that they decided we're not doing it anymore because they're all failing. They were like literally out of the hundred that they had given money to, only like three of them had uh, were able to actually generate a real audience using that money. So here we were. We actually got pulled in by the YouTube Education Department because we were the first people to ever create a show that got any kind of traction about the humanities. There were popular uh, math stuff. There was popular science stuff. Tons of them. But no one could crack the humanities. No one could generate an audience. So YouTube was like super excited. But at the same time, they said, yeah, well, we're not giving out money anymore. So that sucked. But um, they were able to basically um, they, they were able to 
allow us to do a study. And part of this study was they wanted to uh, basically see, first of all, the efficacy of thug notes in the classroom. And then part of that study was also to see if we could uh, replicate it again and do another show. And so basically when the writing staff was just me, I said to myself, well, I don't really have a proclivity for science. I don't have a proclivity for math. Not that I'm not good at math. I was very good in math in high school, but I just don't care. And like, you know, I can't, you know, it's not something I can really get engaged with. Um, So knowing that I basically taught myself a lot of philosophy, just reading fucking matrix forms in high school, I was like, okay, philosophy, (laughs) I can figure this out. Uh, I don't feel that way about a lot of things. And as far as the eight bit thing, I, uh, I was a huge fan of, I actually did not watch a lot of YouTube before we entered the YouTube space, but the one YouTuber who I had actually followed ever since he pretty much hit the scene and I've been following ever since is uh, the angry video game nerd, James Rolfe. And um, I just love, love him to death. He's a huge inspiration. And, um, you know, this was back in like 2012. And I think that the kind of eight bit thing was a little bit more in back then. Um, So basically it was just, it was also a matter of like, uh, you know, we wanted to create a show. We wanted to create an aesthetic. We knew a guy who was very skilled at like kind of puppeteering 8-bit video games. Like he would, it, it was it was like basically 8-bit machinima. Right. Like there was no actual animation, uh, which was pretty cool. And so basically we just had to create another show about the humanities. And I really like classic gaming and I really liked learning about philosophy. So we just did that. So when like I, I went to film school too, uh, and I think like everyone goes to film school thinking they're going to be like the next like Scorsese, they're going to be like a film director. Um, and and then uh, it took me a long time to like figure out that like oh maybe YouTube would be an easier way to like create and get content out there rather than like me as a poor person somehow making a feature film. Uh, like was you like was was internet videos kind of like always on your radar or no. like did you leave film school being like I'm going to be a film director. Yeah. So my story is I moved out here after college. Uh, For the first two years I was here, I was working at a small production company, basically making uh, corporate videos like, you know, uh, I I love my boss to death, uh, but it was pretty, uh, you know, we we did some cool stuff, too, uh, like that that Max Landis video that I told uh, Lux about that I was a a part of, like that was through that job. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Um, But, you know, it was more or less mostly like doing stuff for Lily Pharmaceuticals, like really just soul crushing. (laughs) interior videos that were really boring. Videos for the bad guys for movies. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, and my co-founder, Jacob, who Lux knows, uh, he was uh, my best friend in college and he was, uh, he had, he was the third employee, but basically an intern for a software company uh, that still exists in Austin that was basically growing exponentially and blowing up. And uh, he was finishing up the job and the company was going public. And so he wanted to leave the job in London and move back. And I the way he'll tell you the story now is I seduced him and ruined his life by saying, hey, man, you should come to L.A. and let's be filmmakers like we always said. And uh, so that's what we did. And so I quit my day job, which is not something I would recommend to anybody. Um, And we started hit the ground running. And I was just like living off the very bare minimal savings. And it was like totally the romantic thing that you're not supposed to do is just quit your day job with no plan. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I did. And um, (laughs) 
basically we try to do the indie film thing, you know, write our own script and like find funding and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And and it was like maybe like four or five, like four months of that. And we just realized once you actually start crunching the numbers and you start meeting people and you start realizing what the independent film world is really like. It's only um, for rich kids. It's, it's, only, uh, it's, I'm, yeah. so, it's I'm, so glad, I'm so glad you said it and I didn't have to. No, no I'll say it because any, anytime anyone goes in, in this day and age with technology, anyone can make a movie is bullshit. bullshit. It's complete yeah. bullshit. <laughs> Every indie feature I've ever produced was because the director was rich and the parents were funding it. Uh, and, and that's and the story if, that no one says. And even, like, and even if the parents aren't funding it, it's like the director has enough money to where he can, you know, just like take meetings. Like, like when you're a director, sure. or when you're trying to make an indie film, like you're basically taking meetings for months oftentimes years and just like waiting for calendars to sync up if you even find the money and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So, you know, you have to be available for these meetings and it's also like a cultural thing. Like you have to play the part, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. you know, no one is going to take you seriously if you're like, you still have your Starbucks uniform on and you go to this meeting or whatever. I mean, look, I don't want to try. I mean, I've got friends out here who are not well off, who are, you know, slumming it and working hard and they've created indie features on zero budgets and they're just fucking warriors and hats off sure. to them. Now, granted, yeah. there are not a lot of people like that. A lot of them are more like what Griffin is talking about. Yeah. Um, no, no now, doubt. I mean, I've been dealing with that with the fucking, there's a movie, Griffin, we've talked about this before, there's a movie I have out there that's halfway funded and I've been, it's been three years of me trying to talk to people and funding it and it is a fucking nightmare. Of course it's a nightmare because the thing that we quickly realized is that when you're asking someone to fund an independent movie, you're either asking them to lose money or lie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're convinced yeah. people to take a loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which and, is crazy. And, and that's tough. So, um, so then we experimented on YouTube. So our first, we made these like, uh, these kind of these racy Hanukkah videos based on kind of these characters <laughs> that we knew in our youth. And we basically just, as a joke, sent it out to uh, people that we had met in these meetings during these four months. And like, uh, it was during Hanukkah season and that video ended up getting like 600,000 views. There's actually the person, this is interesting, uh, it, especially today, because I haven't actually thought about this in a couple of years, but the person who saw this and tweeted it out that started the initial surge, who, by the way, Jacob is still in contact with, is Roseanne Barr. Oh, Whoa. my God. Yeah. What? Roseanne loved it. She accepted uh, Jacob's like Twitter friend request. Jacob has met Roseanne in Vegas before, and she still responds to our messages because she loved that original show. So basically, like we were just like, "Holy shit!" Like, Shout out Jacob. That's wild. Are you yeah. saying that you could get us tickets to be in the audience of a live taping of Roseanne? I, I mean, you'd Is have that to ask what you're Jacob. trying to tell me? But honestly, like <laughs> it's been years, and Jacob says she still answers him. And that's uh, amazing, which is amazing. Yeah. Good. So, so you guys spent a few years then building this channel. I um, I visited y'all's office in L.A. and, and now you guys have a, like a big, legit operation. I mean, you have employees. I don't know how old you are, but you, you seem pretty young to be in like in charge of like a full kind of like blossoming company. Uh, like what was that kind of evolution uh, for you after all of a sudden like start, be making videos on YouTube, YouTube and then like be in charge of people now? <sighs> What is the evolution uh, like of, of just me personally dealing with that? Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of the same thing in terms of like wrangling philosophy or even literature is basically just, you know, and it's kind of like a fake it till you make it kind of thing. You just you just fucking do it, man. You know, uh, you do your best. 
if you stumble, like just be be candid about your mistakes and be honest and open with people and and be open to learning from people. Like, I mean, Lux will tell you, like all of our writers, like, you know, know more about more than me in a lot of these disciplines. And I definitely yeah. fancy myself as a, a glorified student. But as long as I, you know, I mean, I'm open to listen and, and love to learn from all these people. And so I, you know, I think it's just if you show a demeanor of, of respect and appreciation for the people that you work with, you're going to get it back. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm also lucky in that the content we make is, you know, has a pretty, uh, benevolent, uh, you know, goal in mind. Like I'm not asking people to make shit, you know, I'm asking people to do stuff that they're all pretty passionate about. So it, it's, it, I guess it's not, too too hard to 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 get people engaged because uh, in a lot of cases I'm you know allowing people to uh, do what they love and, and that's kind of you know if I can get soapboxy I think that one of the one of my biggest driving factors of, of trying to get wisecrack to work and, and getting it to survive and getting it to thrive is that like I remember moving to Hollywood and you know this is before Jacob moved out and thinking that like man it's a curse to be intelligent because there's no jobs in this town for intelligent people. You're either getting in the ground floor as like a, an agent's assistant where, you know, your emotional intelligence is much more important. Your ability to take calls, roll calls, smile at the right time, create the right kind of drama to flatter your boss's ego at the right time. Like those are the things that matter. Your connections, your ability to schmooze for someone like me who was a, a an introvert, like uh, who, you know, really wanted to, learn things and appreciate great art. Like I just didn't have a chance. Um, and wisecrack for me, like, you know, sometimes people email us and say like, Oh, you know, I really, uh, because of your channel, I want to study philosophy. And you know, most philosophy people who are outside of college would say, no, don't do it. You're going to end up working in Starbucks. But like, you know, something that motivates me is like, no, I want you to study philosophy and I want to create a place where that skill is hopefully lucrative. What like so when it comes to video games, like how did you get into games? Like where does your video game history like start and and come from before we actually oh, talk about this week's game? I, I'm glad you asked that early. Like I, I was definitely into video games and very passionate about video games before I was passionate about movies. I mean, you know, I watched movies as a kid. Everyone watched movies as a kid, but I was like into Land Before Time and shit like that. Not that that's a bad movie, by the way. Uh, but uh, the first movie, actually, the first thing that got me obsessed with storytelling was, and I'm sure this is the case with many people, Final Fantasy VII. It came sure, out when I was sure. when it came out when I was in third grade and I was just so attached and so hooked and really just yeah. it just grabbed me. And that was like my first kind of fanboy obsession was Final Fantasy seven. It went, I mean, my three my three fanboy obsessions in life have been Final Fantasy, The Matrix and The Dark Knight. <laughs> yeah, that, che that, that checks out. Um, yeah. All right. Well, now let's talk about today's game. Um, Griffin, would you mind? Give me a little backstory. Yeah, let's get into a little bit of, a little bit of history about this game. Uh, I'm imagining the music playing right now. I have to say that every time. <laughs> uh, it's warm up for me. Okay. okay. Uh, <clears throat> who's your daddy? To many, a blunt retort, but to the Greek demigod Kratos, it is a question that has led him on a path of bloody revenge since the first God of War game was released in 2004 and sold more than 4.6 million copies worldwide, making it one of the best-selling PlayStation 2 games of all time. A fast-paced hack-and-slash with puzzle elements set in the Greek universe of gods, creator Ben Jaffe explained that the creative team's goal was to make the player feel brutal, letting their inner beast free and just going nuts. The series would launch seven titles to continued critical and 
financial success, but there had been no major console sequels since 2010. Cut to eight years later, the developers announced a brand new story where we find Kratos hiding in the woods of Norse mythology years after killing the pantheon of Greek gods. But the question of who's your daddy remains, this time passed down to a new character, Kratos' son, Atreus, who he lovingly refers to as Boy. Boy. I'll work on that. Uh, it's hard to do. Uh, Kratos attempts to protect Atreus from his dark past, but Atreus is persistent in discovering who his daddy really is and his own identity. This week on Game Boys, we learn harsh truths about our daddies and fight way too many trolls with God of War. Damn, that was great. Yeah, you're getting pretty good at these, bud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so God of War, um, we've been talking about how we're going to talk about it with a special guest on the show. This is, that is now welcome to the episode we've been referring to but Jared. So you, you just, uh, you just beat this bad boy a couple days ago. So yeah, you that's got right. The, yeah. Yeah. This is a new game. Usually we have old games on, so it's cool to have like a very fresh new game on the podcast. Yeah. And Griffin and I, because we're fucking huge nerds we beat this game a little while ago, but you just beat it this week. So let's talk about what's in your mind. Fresh mm-hmm. man. So good. I mean, uh, what is fresh in my mind? Uh, to me, this is the kind of spiritual successor and I, and I, I don't know, that's probably not the right term, but to the last of us in that. Totally. Uh, I totally agree. <laughs> in, in, ter- in terms of just like, first of all, I played the last of us four times. It truly shattered my expectations. It totally captured me. It was like something that like neared perfection. And I feel like I haven't really felt that with a game since then and with God of War. I mean, obviously there's also like the formal connections with Kratos and his son, not unlike Joel and Ellie. Ellie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So there's that. Um, But also just like, you know, oh, okay, this is the one. This is pushing the medium forward just like The Last of Us did. Fucking A. Definitely. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I felt the same way. Like when I, the, I was two hours in and I had this feeling of, oh, I'm playing something special. I don't I don't always get that from a video game. But like when I started playing The Last of Us or I started playing this game and a few other things, I'm like, this is this is something special. This is this is more than just a, a, a regular video game. Absolutely. Yeah, it, has, it has that vibe. And that's like a part of that's just because the design of this game is like top to bottom, almost perfect. Oh, um, as so far beautiful. as like the way it well, the way it looks and also the way it tells the story like. Yeah, let's start with story and then get into gameplay, I guess. Sure. How do you want to do this? Let's talk about uh, let's talk about some Greek myth- or Norse mythology. Or an, a Greek so guy spoilers, in, a Greek spoilers guy for mythology. this game. It's a rather new game. So we're going to start talking about spoilers for story and basically anything else with this game starting now. Yes. Uh, Jared, what did you think about some of the like the end of this game? Uh, oh, so we are talking spoilers. 100%. Yes. Okay. Spoilers uh, fully allowed. I... So first of all, what does, I don't know if this is actually deliberately vague. I never actually looked into it too much. And I've also reached this point in my life where I know I never look on Reddit or forums or anything for any questions. I just let it stew in my brain. And if I have questions, I ask the writer's room, the (laughs) wisecrack writer's room. But what does Kratos see? I, so when we're seeing the images on the wall, I said, oh, okay, what's going to happen is Kratos is going to see that uh, Atreus later kills him. Kratos. Sure. Is, but but is the image deliberately obscured or is that what we actually see? I think the writers are playing fast and loose with it and giving themselves a lot of options for the future. Okay. Like yeah. I think they're like, let's keep let's like keep this deliberately vague because we don't know exactly what direction we want to go. Yeah, exactly. I, right? I, I'm inclined to agree. Do we feel like the the arc of this father and son was like satisfyingly carried out through the whole game? I'm gonna be real honest. Uh, so because what I do 
for a living is analyze media day in and day out. When I'm playing video games, my brain is off, you know, <laughs> like just off. Like, in fact, when my girlfriend and I game together and she does all the puzzles, she does all the moving with the storylines. I just kill shit. And I, <laughs> and, and I still watch and appreciate the stories. But, um, you know, like I do kind of need that outlet to just shut off. And video games have become that largely. Um, so, I, I mean, I. I enjoyed the story. I liked what happened. Um, I thought it was very touching when they're spreading uh, the mother's ashes at the top. Although this is also one of those scenarios where I just say to myself, God, the big Lebowski really has ruined any kind of ash spreading <laughs> scene for me because I can't see something like that without thinking yeah, about a Folgers, a Folgers co- uh, coffee can. Like I just can't. Um, so uh, I thought it was extremely touching. The, um, the dynamic between the boy or Atreus and uh, Kratos is great. One of the things that I thought was the most particularly powerful thing is during the the part of the game when Atreus is being a huge dick, you're yeah. like, and, and I, I hopefully I don't reveal too much of myself here, but like there's a part where he's being such a dick and he's fucked shit up so bad that you just think that Kratos is going to hit him. But he doesn't. Mm. And uh, did you guys get that feeling like, oh, my God, like fucking slap this kid in the fucking face. But he doesn't. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a really important choice. And Kratos just looks at him. He says, you know, like this path that you have taken, you will abandon right now. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And my only thing about that is I'm curious what you guys think. Are we meant to believe that that? pep talk really changed Atreus. That's what I would like to believe. But then there's this vague thing with the voices in his head and how he says that he wasn't actually himself. How are we meant to interpret that? I mean, I think that, I think that for me, um, that, that ending or that moment rather is, uh, is like the pep talk works in the sense that it like snaps Atreus out of like Loki mode. Right. But what what is do we know d- definitively what Loki mode means? I think that at least, at least, <laughs> no, uh, super no. That's, that's the question of but, this right. podcast. But what is Loki mode? Loki mode is uh, our new hashtag. If you want to talk to us on God of War, use hashtag Loki mode. Loki mode is the next generation of four loco. Oh um, my god, I'm three deep and I'm going full uh, Loki mode, dude. Loki I'm about to mode. throw up and stage dive off this uh, building. I, I, I think baby. over the course of the game, they're they're showing like uh, what a bad dad is, like a dad that's like not. A emotionally equipped uh and is but is trying to be better so like i think there's a lot of instances where it's like i I mean i don't think like kratos was like a good father in most of situations but he's like trying right well it's and it's that trying that matters right like that's what snaps the kid Mm -hmm. out of loki mode is that he cares enough that he like brings him back to being atreus the problem or what this implies going forward is that like there's a dark spooky version of atreus that's like always waiting and that maybe a snake's gonna come out of his stomach and eat his Mm -hmm. dad or something yeah um but I don't know, the, the, but I don't know about you, Lux, but I think like my favorite thing just about the way that this like story, um, I, it, like this game's story, like recontextualizes the first three games for me. Cause the first three oh, yeah. games Huge are just day. like a, a testosterone filled 14 year old slugfest with like, you know, like, uh, all sorts of just kind of teenage fever dream, like chaos. Uh, and then this game is like that char- same character expressing like regret and, 
and and looking back on the events of those first three games with 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 regret and 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 you know not liking the person he was uh, and and Relatable. yeah uh, well, and so and, it like brought in the three games and and informed this new story and and just made it, well, ugh, it was I mean, just so good. There is some like world backstory, right? Because it hasn't Corey Barlog, the director of this game, who was a, a, a major role in all three of the other games, like got married and had a child between three and four, between three and mm-hmm. the new one, and like had this like shift in his like world view and perspective on like what he's trying to make and what art matters to him and like you can see that throughout this game like every single element of this game is dedicated to like telling the story of this relationship between these two and also the the, the mother and that actually the mother's role is one of my favorite things in this game because it took me so I, it took me uh like weeks of uh, of or like about a week and a half two weeks of playing this game and talking to jared about it for uh, wisecracks like that to realize that Throughout the game, you find these little golden paths, right? Like anything you can climb has a little gold symbol on it. And anything you can jump from place to place has a gold symbol on it somewhere, right? There's like these markings that you know how to follow the path. And it didn't occur to me until I'd been in the game for a week that those are the path that the mother leaves for you. Like she's a character in the game driving the story forward because she's the one who creates the path that you follow. Like, don't oh, they, weird. they say that in the ending, right? Yeah, they do. I just didn't put, me, I just didn't put it together mechanically. Okay. Um, I, I never noticed that. I never realized that. I must yeah. have missed that. Yeah, it's I, huge... think I, I think I was primed because, well, can I spoil other games? Spoil whatever you want, dude. Yeah. This is spoiler. Uh, yeah, because the, the same thing is revealed in at the end of Horizon. So I was kind of primed oh, for yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And But I just thought that was like such a good example of the way that the game just built its story into its mechanics. There's stuff like, like you were saying, Jared, there's also a part later in the game where the kid's being a sure you refer, refer, refer to this, the kid's being a shithole and he won't shoot arrows for you. Yes. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I, in fact, like it, it came to the point where I was expecting the paint thing to happen because everything that seemed inconsistent with the narrative, like the, the ludology as, as Lux was saying in one of our previous mm-hmm. conversations, everything that you think is inconsistent with the narrative ends up being consistent or justified. So for example, at the beginning of the game, uh, well, most things. So at the beginning of the game you have this kid sidekick who you are trying to keep alive but yet he's invincible so you seem like that seems like a kind of a uh at odds with the ludology of the game but then you realize oh no the kid's a god uh, maybe you guys already knew that i guess i didn't really I, it didn't really cross my mind but i think that when you when he's told that the kid is a god then that kind of justifies the fact that the kid is seemingly invincible For same sure. thing same thing with uh, the realm between realms being a glorified loading screen and mm-hmm. then it ends up you know having a greater justification in the plot so it it's not it becomes more than just a loading screen and right. uh, yeah the thing when the kid stops uh, listening to you is so good yeah it's yeah, amazing so many great moments like that also sorry I started laughing because my roommate has been playing God of War and he is walking around the house with <laughs> like fucking studio cans on cannot hear anything and is just drowned out this entire podcast and it's very funny one other thing that I really like about the story um, is that they like um, I think they could have thrown the entire bucket of North mythology at this game but instead they like they kept it to like one villain for this first game and kind of like really didn't reveal all the big bads in the universe, um, which makes the universe feel bigger. Uh, but at the same time, I do feel like I missed a Godfighter too. I felt like this game had a lot of great fights, but I feel like it was missing 
one or two set pieces to like foot to iron out this like 40 hour game like the set piece that i'm thinking of that's incredible that's unlike anything i've ever played before is the first set piece where what's the bad guy's name lux balder 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 appears at your cabin and you fight him outside the cabin is one of the craziest things i've seen in video games yeah Uh, just start to finish incredible and and i was expecting two or three more of those and instead i got a lot of trolls actual trolls it's hard for me to complain but i would agree like it would be great if those epic boss battle set pieces weren't just with balder and what there were only two maybe three it's hard for me Mm -hmm. to complain because those are so fucking amazing Mm -hmm. um and that balder is is so like when whenever he shows up you know your your butthole is clenching you're shitting your pants like you know he is fucking frightening even though you know he's Kind of like he looks like a scraggly Robert Carlyle or something like <laughs> yeah. that, you know, and, and he's not traditionally what you he would looks consider like a to sons be. of anarchy extra. Yeah, yeah, but man, he's fucking frightening. Um, well, and one thing with the Balder character that, that I love is that the Balder character is a really interesting piece of adaptation, right? Because um, here is some deep nerd shit audience. But Balder within the Norse mythology canon is not like a big ass kicking psycho. He's like a sweetheart that everyone loved. And in the story, in the actual myths, is like everyone loved him, and then a bunch of accidents happened, and Loki tricked someone into murdering him, and it was everyone's very sad. Um, but he was supposed to not be able to be killed because everything agreed and promised that they never kill him. And then in in uh, in uh, in God of War, uh, you know, he's crazy because everything made the same promise that they won't hurt him. But instead of being safe because of that, he's gone crazy because he can't feel anything. Um, and that change, like is a beautiful piece of writing and also really defines the nature of the game because then his relationship to his mother becomes a parallel to Atreus's relationship with um, Kratos. And that's a really fascinating side-by-side, Freya and Balder and Kratos and Atreus. Um, it's a really... Ugh. This game is just so insanely... Whoa. All right, my dog is doing something crazy now. <laughs> this, this is the dog podcast. Uh, yeah, that is that is kind of like interesting kind of like uh, of mirroring of, of parental relationships. Uh, you bring up Freya, which is kind of like my last story thing. I wanted to see what you guys thought. Did you guys buy this whole Freya being pissed at Kratos at the end of this game thing? It felt a little rushed and it didn't feel like the character that I had hung out with for the rest of the game. Like Freya seemed a little more grounded than that. I don't know. It is her son, but I don't know. I got a take on this, but Jared, what do you think? Um, do I, I mean, I definitely buy that in the heat of the moment, seeing your child die, no matter what, no matter what Uh the circumstances I buy that she would say that. Although I would imagine that, you know, she'll, she'll chill. Like if she doesn't chill in the sequel, I mean, I'm still excited to have, you know, her, her as an antagonist, (laughs) but would I buy it that like she would, she couldn't see that, you know, obviously Kratos did a very benevolent thing or an arguably benevolent thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would probably be a little hard for me to swallow, but nothing that I would get pissed about. Yeah. I mean, if it were 2018, she'd probably send like an apologetic email three days later. Um, (laughs) but well, my take on it is this, Mm -hmm. is that they don't, I wish they had given a little more depth to the, to the Freya Balder story, but within the context of the original mythology, like she did spend like years walking around and finding every single object on the planet and making it promise not to hurt her son. Like she was very invested in the kid. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. And like everything was worth it for this kid. So losing it at all, um, losing him at all, rather, I shouldn't refer to the, uh, her child as it. That makes me sound monstrous. Um, I guess but, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, buy, I buy that. I, I do wish like, again, like that's me bringing deep nerd shit to this game that maybe the game hasn't earned, but like, mm-hmm. Hey, look, I'm the one playing the fucking game dog. Get, but, uh, getting away from, from story. Cause 
like this game, like Jared said, he likes to kind of like tap out from thinking for a little bit with video games. This game is actually still a great way to do that because it's so um, immersive. Uh, they do this thing in this game that I've never seen any game do where it's a one shot the entire game start to finish over the course of 40 hours. Um, there's no uh, there's semi loading screens, but not really. You never really cut away from Kratos. Um, and so it gives this um it gives this feeling over time of just kind of being more sucked into the world. I think anytime that something cuts or takes to a loading screen, there's like you're subconsciously ripped slightly out of it. Uh, and so just this like, I don't know about you, if you guys felt the same thing as me, but just being so much more sucked in than other games. Um, for me, it was less of a world immersion thing. Um, so I'm going to take this one because Jared, Jared knows from reading that I have an insane amount of thoughts about this particular question. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, it wasn't so much a world immersion thing as it was like a, 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 a narrative metaphor immersion thing, right? Like instead of, so the last three, the original three out of war games, it's all set cameras designed to create scale and make Kratos sure. look like the turbo badass. Yeah. And it's all frame cinematography. It's all crazy. In this game, you control the camera. It sits on Kratos' shoulder. You're right there. And so all of a sudden, all the violence is really up close. Everything he does is right there. You don't get the sense of wonder anymore. It's all just fucking brutal. You're right in his head. And and the the no cuts is the same thing. Like you're just always there with Kratos. You never get away. You don't have any of these crazy like crazy shots, which is goes to like the quick time event sort of like we don't get the same crazy sort of uh, sequences of like big fights and stuff because those come from those like locked camera angles, whatever. But the trade off for that is this like intense intimacy with the violence and psychology of Kratos that I think is really compelling in the context of a game about, like you said, a dude who's trying to come to terms with his like shitty old self. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's like a like a. Like if there was a movie shot that way, we'd all be talking about how the cinematography was like a genius move. Yeah. Again. Yeah. You, but, but, but yeah, like, like I think you, we mentioned earlier in this podcast, like all of their, all of their like technical decisions also inform the narrative, uh, yeah. which is like always really cool. That's that, that's that ludology that, that Jared's talking about. That's what that, or ludo narrative is the word for that. Ludology is the study, oh, okay. of, is just the study um, of play. And I heard, and I heard in interviews that most of his team, uh, fought him on this because it was such a technical, technically complicated thing to do. Uh, and there were so many times where I was like, ah, oh, this, this is slowing us down. Like this is such extra work to like not have loading screens and stuff. Uh, but he kept fighting for it. And then once the game released, everyone was like, Oh, like, yeah, we, we have to do this all the time. <laughs> to hear Barlog tell the story, everyone <laughs> on the team fought everything, he, every decision he tried to make. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jared, what did you think about, like, did you have any thoughts like this kind of camera display stuff? Because I think it's pretty wild and, like, way different than any other game. No, I mean, I, I read what you had written, and uh, I, I think someone had, either I had read elsewhere or I had watched in a review about the whole one-shot thing and how it increases intimacy, um, and... Yeah, I mean, I totally buy it. Uh, and I more just in a, a creative appreciation for me in that, like, even when you're uh, transporting between realms, that, like, there is this kind of visual spectacle that keeps you with the character with, like, you know, the, the travel crystals shimmering and that whole thing going on instead of a loading mm-hmm. screen. I obviously appreciate that immensely. It helps you keep with the character. But yeah, I don't really have anything to add on top of what you said. I think that uh, it was great. Right. My question is, uh, and I don't know if you guys want to... I, do you guys know, like, is this, I imagine this game was enormously expensive and I'm, and you know how like Sony owns stock in Naughty Dog. So even the last of us was just like enormously expensive is like, is Sony losing money on these games? Is this basically like, all right, we are just going to throw money at these studios to create next, next level games so that, you know, for this next console war, we own the, the, uh, you know, the platform that has the good exclusives, which they have the achieved. Exclusives is the whole battlefield now. 
out. Yeah. yeah. And Sony's been winning it for years. Um, uh, but they had they have to be taking a loss. Well, with the, with this generation, both the last generation, not really. Right. Because I mean, yeah, whatever what happened to the Halos and the and the Gears of Wars? Microsoft totally has flung, has flubbed this. I think the only exclusive they can talk about right now for Microsoft is like Sea of Thieves, which is like a pirate open world game that only a few people are playing. No, PlayStation, ha- Sony has locked down the exclusives like crazy, and it's why they're why they're selling more consoles. So yeah, to answer your question, this game costs like hundreds of millions of dollars to make, um, and there's like no way they're making all of that back right away. Are, are they, they not? That back in I don't know. Like, sales. Part of me thinks that because. I think just gaming is a fucking good business model because like Grand Theft Auto 5 probably cost more than this money. It's I think it's still the most expensive game ever made. And didn't they make it back like in the day it sold that crazy well? Um, I don't it's know about ex- that, but I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to believe it. It's pretty that game. I mean, I don't know if there's a game that's ever sold like Grand Theft Auto 5 like that. Right. Uh, that game. I don't like I, I personally am not a Grand Theft Auto dude. Um, however, even I was like, I got to get a copy of this. Oh, me too. I had not played a Grand Theft Auto game since the orig- since Grand Theft Auto 3, and I didn't even really like that game. But Grand Theft Auto 5, still one of the most impressive games ever made. And it's for PS3. It's crazy. It's, yeah. uh, it's the, it's the uh, highest selling entertainment product of all time. Just any entertainment oh, it's, product. It's amazing. It's I mean, wild. it is. It's incredibly impressive. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of what other things about this well, game. Okay, I think let's, the po- I got something real quick. Yeah, let's talk about my favorite part of this game, which is when you go home because your kid is sick because of cognitive dissonance, um, <laughs> and uh, you go into the basement and you go find uh, daddy's old knives. And oh, yeah. uh, so, did you like that? I kind I of fucking loved it. Uh, Here's how sick I am. I was like, yes, our thesis for the Wisecrack Edition video is gonna work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because like that is the ult- that is the ultimate post western moment. Even yeah. like it, you know, it this this video game is very is basically Logan the video game. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. even like I it, uh, with Athena saying like yes, and no matter what, you can never escape the violence. You will always be a monster. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I I it was a super powerful moment. Uh, I I loved it on a story level. On, on, yeah. on a story level, it was very exciting um, because I was because just anything exploring Kratos's past is very exciting. Um, but I felt like once we added those, the game got so easy uh, and just like it was every I just breezed through the second half of the game. Well, Griff, oh. I think this might be one of those parts where that's because you're good at video games and I'm not. Yeah, so I got to start tough, raising I difficulty. I did not breeze through it. It was still hard, and I fucking loved it. That first just, troll like, fight, that first troll you fight, it feels like you're going to play a Dark Souls game, and I was very excited about that because yeah, that do. first troll fight is hard, and you're weak, and I was expecting that kind of challenge from the rest of the game, and then I got those blades, and it was cool on a story level, but then I just, like, I didn't pay attention to a single fight after that. It was so easy. Yeah, but they fucking, oh my god, when they, you get them and you go outside, and the game is just mm-hmm. like, here's 300 dudes just fucking slaughter. Like, remember yeah. what this is like? It's just like, fuck yeah, dude. It was cool. It's like it's like a it's this weird feeling of like, you know, that thematically this is a sad moment, but also you're like meeting your best friend that you've been missing for a long time. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Kratos feels that way, too. Like he knows it's a dark moment. There's a part of him that's like, hell yeah, I got my boys back. Yeah. So my only problem with the ludology of this part and like, I guess, like, what's the difference? Like, I guess for me, I didn't really think that the blades of chaos or the chaos blades, whatever they are, were really that much more powerful than the axe. I actually prefer the axe. I, I it's just it's me more too. fun to press triangle and kind of summon it back to you. I agree. Yeah. But um, 
I guess, you know... Crowd control, baby. That's what the blades are, right? I don't really see how the blades make him more of a monster. Or I don't really see how he becomes more monstrous. Although, I like, symbolically and narratively it works. But I feel like that's one of the Ludo moments that kind of doesn't work for me. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, you're still just killing dudes in a different way. Like, symbolically, right. it represents your past. But it's not any more gruesome than what you were already doing. Yeah. Right. You know, like, Logan was at least trying to uh, drive a limo, you know, and, like, totally not be violent anymore. But then, right. oh, you good know, point. at the yeah, end, he has point. to take the serum <laughs> and become the beast again. And For this is kind of time, what yeah. that's hinting at is mm-hmm. now Kratos has to be the beast from the old games again. Um, and that's why I almost would prefer if, I mean, I don't know if I really would prefer this cause I like those weapons, but if it was like, you have to fight one fight, that's like a super hard fight and you get the blades of chaos for one fight and yes. it's super epic, but then yes. you go back and then I like, agree. you know, and then like you wreak just like unimaginable chaos. And then like after that, you know, after you've killed like a thousand people in the bloodiest possible way, then Kratos is like, okay, I got to put this shit back. Cause like right. that, that beast only comes out. Like at for certain times. Yeah, I think it's a better piece of game design, but like y'all I fucking love that weapon. I fucking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. fucking the fucking crowd control with that thing, it's so good. Yeah. I feel like yeah, a pop at Coachella. Yeah. I can just tell everyone to go wherever I want. Yeah, um, I but I do think though, and sorry to just reiterate this one last time is uh, uh, my favorite part about the axe and, and the new form of gameplay in the first half of the game was that um, it was less. Uh, let me throw a, a wave of, of guys at you, and more like, oh, there's four guys in this room. Let me freeze. Let me throw my axe at one to freeze it. Start punching the other guy, and like maintain fighting all four of these dudes. Uh, once you introduce the blades, you're throwing twenty guys at me. I'm not even like strategizing anymore. I'm just like button mashing. You know. <laughs> also. Also, I was trying to get good at fighting barehanded, but then yeah. as, as soon as you get the blades, then there's no need. As soon as if you need to freeze something, you just switch weapons. It feels like some cheat codes unlock halfway through the game, and then it just like it's like okay, and I'm just crushing through it. Well, it's because um, he's driven by dad love strength. He like realizes he's um, gonna lose his but kid. We've complained like, enough about the blades of chaos. He's like, Is oh there my god, <laughs> I'm gonna lose my son, and I'm a dad. I must do everything to stop it. And he gets like 15 times stronger. Dad strength is a real thing. Um, is there any other is there any other things we want to talk about this game before we move on to our next segment? Um, Jared, you got any last? Well, I guess we're going to talk about this game for a second in the next segment. Um, I don't have any other questions. I think we're ready for commercial break. Hey, Griffin, we talked about this on the podcast. You love delivery food. Boy, do I. And I know that sometimes that takes a hole, puts a, a hole in your pocket. What if I told you there was a way that you could get farm fresh ingredients to your house every week that you can cook yourself with simple recipes and simple techniques? I call you a liar. Well, I'm not because this is today's great ad and it's for an awesome product called XCon Cuisine. And here's how it works. We have farmers in prisons who are prisoners who we taught how to farm, farming you locally sourced delicious plants and then when they finish their harvest, we harvest them and serve you top quality prisoner meat. Just people who you committed violent crimes, ground up into chuck, and then served like hamburger style or like ribs or maybe a steak. And it comes with fresh farmed ingredients straight from the prisons. That's fresh farmed ingredients and fresh farmed human meat just for you that you can cook with easy recipes. And do the crimes make them taste better? Of course it does. The harder you do crime, just the more adrenaline gets into your system, and that sweet adrenaline flavors up all that tasty, tasty crime meat. Well, count me in. I'll pay $80 a week. Well, that's how much XCon Cuisine costs, so you're in, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Griffin. Ch-check. 
Welcome back to the Game Boys podcast. It's me, Lux. I am joined by your co-host, as always, Griffin Davis. And with us is Jared Bauer of Wisecrack, my boss and yours. Um, Jared, I hope you say my boss and yours for all your guests. I say whenever it's someone with whom I have a perspective, specific relationship, I say my blank and yours. So when we had my roommate okay. on, it was my roommate and yours. Or last Yesterday was my dad and yours. <laughs> um, my consistent. rabbi and yours. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't pay dues to the synagogues. He's just my dad, not my rabbi. Um, oh, I hope he doesn't hear me say that. He'll be very upset. Uh, anyway, you don't pay dues. No, that he, I said he's not my rabbi. He's very much my rabbi. It's not like you have another one. Um, but anyway, so Jared, this is the part of the show where we rate this game, boys. Um, and so this is going to be on a scale of one to five joysticks. So basically you choose one to five, uh, five being the best and give us your rating and, uh, give us a little reasoning why. And we'll go in a circle, but we'll start with you because you are our guest and we're very polite here. Shit, man. Five, five all day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Perfect score. Five all day. I mean, if I'm saying that, you know, the, the last of us was a, uh, was a video game that told me that, oh, wow, this is what the medium can be. This is a truly cinematic experience, and I'm identifying with these characters on a similar wavelength than I have in cinema where there are real people, and now I'm experiencing that again for the second time since whatever that was, 2012. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it yeah, I can't not give it five. Yeah, yeah I'm, that's um, fair. I'm inclined to agree um, uh, and give it five as well. Like, uh, when I wrote two fives, yeah. When two I wrote about fives? this, yeah. Now you're in the position I was in last time, Griffin. The fuck oh, are you no. gonna do? Um, what? When I was writing about this game um, for a video that will probably be out when this comes out, maybe not. But teasers, huh? Uh, when I was writing this game, uh, I was like, the first version I wrote of the script was like um, extremely long um, because I just had so much shit to say about it, and I had to cut half the shit before I even submitted the too long version. Um, there's just so much in there that's so fucking incredible. And, and that's what we'll do with this speech you're giving right now. Uh, no, we won't actually. <laughs> We're going to keep it. And I'm now I'll just, you know, you don't want to keep going. I can keep going, dude. I can go all day, dude. I can do this all day. I can talk about how much I like this game. All right, Griffin, go ahead. I'm going to give you a five. Griffin, cool. It was a five, right? Five you give it a five. Uh, cool. Um, I, again, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, there's certain, there's a very few games uh, that when you start playing, you want to like, you want to like, tell your friends to come over and watch it or like you want to show it to people Um, I felt that way about Skyrim Um, I felt that way about The Last of Us Um, and there's just like a few there's a few games where it's just like you want to you want to show the people this and it feels very special this was definitely one of those games um, it like brought back a series that was in my childhood and and like made it smarter retroactively Um, and was just a blast to play Um, but I do feel like the Blades of Chaos watered down the gameplay experience halfway through the game uh, and that it was missing one or two set pieces. Um, I think the set pieces that do exist are some of the craziest achievements I've ever seen in video games. Um, But I do remember moments like uh, the boss in Helheim just being another troll um, and the middle of the game just being kind of like a bunch of different troll mini bosses and I did miss uh, perhaps like one or two moments of scale or set piece. So it's going to be a 4.5 for me. Almost a perfect score. Sorry guys. Boy. Another thing, I my, my girlfriend and I have a real problem with finishing games because not a lot of games grab us, or at least don't grab me. Sure. I think she's got a better attention span than me. But like Horizon, yes, well, I was I was super excited to play from beginning to end. This one, super excited from beginning to end. But between those, there are a lot of games that we have not finished, and and uh, just even compelling me to finish it. And I I want to replay this game. In fact, Griffin, I'm curious if you're not going to try again on hard. I have to now, yeah, because yeah. maybe it'll maybe it'll be just a better experience Try for me. Hard, well, that's gonna be. I think it's gonna be pretty soulsy on hard. 
Yeah, I es- hope so. Especially if you played immersive, dude. I think that's kind of what I'm looking for, and and and, and it's, yeah, so I'll have to do that. Um, but right. uh, well, now they- that we've got that yeah. done, <laughs> it is time for everybody's segment made entirely out of segments. It's time for the segment segment. Our first segment, Griffin. You know what to do. Yeah, welcome to Talking Tale. This is the short segment where I ask our guest, have they played the game Undertale? I have played most of it. Well, most? great. That's great. Did you, but any quick, quick one sentence on why you haven't finished it? <laughs> because I realized that, oh, we're not going to do a video on this, so I stopped playing. Bongo. Cool. And so on practical. to our next segment. All right, yeah. second segment. We call this one Yak and Yu-Gi-Oh! It's where I ask, hey, Jared, have you played Yu-Gi-Oh? I have not. All right, moving on. Oh, we love the nose. <laughs> yeah, the, the nose, the nose are preferable. <laughs> prefer the nose because we're wedged in the segments. We're not sure we like them that much. Anyways, uh, Griffin, you, now it's time for your real segment. All right. Welcome, gentlemen, to Riddle Me This. Guys, I am a popular video game character from a major franchise, and I'm going to give you guys three riddles to guess who I am. All right. Okay. All right, so Riddle number up. one. Not your average hero, but more of a geek. You'll play all day without hearing me speak. Okay. You can make a guess at any time. So the one of one of the one of the many silent protagonists yeah, is it sure. Link Chrono? Uh, I'm sorry. You get one guess per oh, riddle. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, what, was uh, your, what was your first guess? Can I just go with my second one? What was your second one? Chrono from Chrono Trigger. Uh, that is not Prano, Lux. Uh, can you crash Bandicoot? Nope. All right. Moving on. Uh, ginger hair and a tidy goatee. I'm the only hero with a PhD degree. Oh, my God. Is it me? Just kidding. I didn't get a PhD. I didn't go to grad school. Um, but my hair is red. So um, is Chronos. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, tidy goatee. A PhD. A major, a very major popular character from a major you, video game franchise. Get out of here with your hints, dude. Don't patronize me. You f- uh, do, you, do you want to guess or you want to move on to Riddle 3? Uh, uh, man. This, yeah, I got nothing for this one. This, this next one is probably going to give it away. Let's see if you guys get it. Interdimensional aliens and government thugs cross the land. A crowbar is held tightly in my hand. Dude, this is yeah, these, are st- these are stumpers, dude. This for the first. I think you might have done it. I think this might the, be the, the one. The goatee and the red hair is is what's killing me because yeah. I, I can't. I'm trying to think of. I mean, I have red hair, so I'm like, man, my. This brethren. is a main character right, a from a video game me. franchise. The main character of a video game franchise. The guesses, are, the riddles are: he's a geek that doesn't speak. He has ginger hair with a PhD degree, and he fights aliens and government with a crowbar. So he's 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 uh. Oh, oh, it's fucking the Half-Life dude. Yeah, you got it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's Gabe, Gordon. Or, or, or Gordon, yeah. I am Gordon Freeman from the yeah. popular franchise Half-Life. Okay. <laughs> like, fucking did Portal last time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> shit, I did? Okay, <laughs> sorry. Maybe you didn't. It depends what, I forget what order releasing episodes in, but you've done Portal recently, my point. But who I'm cares, sorry. because it's time for our final segment, since we're almost done here, so everyone's very happy. It is time for everyone's favorite choice-based game about video games. It's time for Play It, Slay It, Delay It, boys. Here is how this game works works i will tell you three games uh, and i will read you the ad copy from their websites and you can choose which one to play as in play right now slay as in throw in the garbage and delay as in save for later um these are gonna be quick guys because i'm keeping them short this time today's today's uh theme is games i found when i googled games like god of war 
Oh. oh my god, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> Alright, first up, For Honor. Carve a path of destruction through an okay. intense, believable battlefield in For Honor. Choose your warrior amongst a variety of bold knights, brutal vikings, and deadly samurai, each with their own weapon set, play style, and customization options. Alright, that's one. Number two. Kind of like Westworld. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like Westworld. Oh my god. Okay. Number two. Lollipop Chainsaw. Juliet Starling is an 18-year-old student with a dark secret. Zombie hunting with a killer chainsaw in hand, Juliet must balance the drama of high school while carrying out her zombie hunting lineage. Players will hone their cheerleading acrobatics and chainsaw skills to string together devastating combo moves, taking out hordes of the undead. And finally, we've got Xenoclash. Xenoclash is an action-fighting game set in a punk fantasy world. The game is played from a first-person perspective, and the combat is generally up close and brutal. Experience a deep storyline <laughs> set in a fantastic world. All right, so what you're going to play, what you're going to slay, what you're going to delay. Jared, you are a guest, so as always, you get to go first. I'm going to play Lollipop Chainsaw. I'm Hell going yeah. to delay for honor, and I'm going to toss out whatever the last one was. Xenoclash? Yeah. Xenoclash. <laughs> Yeah, the game got better views. Um, Griffin. Very nice. What you got? Uh, I am going to uh, slay the third game as well. Um, I played for honor, and it just really needs to be patched and reworked, so I'll delay that, and I'll play Lollipop. So, so far, same answers as Jared. Oh, same answers. Rock and roll. Y'all, we're all on the same page here. We're just all, we're oh all friends. We're all friends. We're vibing. We got a lot of chains on me. That means Lux. We got a triple slay on our hands. Triple slay. Uh, yeah, we got to get a better sound effect for that. Maybe just isolate that. But yeah, we got a triple slay, and that's wonderful. It just means we're all on the same page, having a great time. It also means that we're at the end of our show, so we're going to have to say goodbye to you, the audience we love very much. Um, but before we do that, we're going to plug some shit. So, Jared, we've talked a lot about what you do, but where can people find you on the internet? And also, I don't yeah, know, man. wherever else you want to be found. Yeah, man, check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wisecrack. Just search wisecrack on YouTube or check out. We've got a couple podcasts. Uh, we've got our movie podcast called Show Me the Meaning, and we've got our Rick and Morty podcast, The Squanch. And one of my favorite is it's seasonal, but Lux is on it, the South Park podcast. And we're only halfway through the year, but I'm already starting to get excited for South Park season again. So yeah. our South Park podcast is called Respect Our Authorita. Just go ahead and find it and subscribe now. So by the time the next season comes out, you can hear me and Lux talking about it. Yeah, we should maybe I mean, great to get the crew back together and throw a couple episodes down. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, Griffin, I think that's the great. Know, you guys know where to find me at the uh, sunny Los Angeles Pack Theater on Santa Monica, doing comedy most nights there, and uh, or on Twitter at Shut Up Griffin. How about you, Lux? Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, you know me. I'm Lux. I'm at ML Surfboard on Twitter. You can find my videos at Wisecrack. I guess you already kind of figured that out from this conversation. And uh, Party World Wrestling is coming up on June 16th. Our Indiegogo will be live when you hear this, so go check it out. Donate. We've got a lot of videos. Check out the Facebook page. It's going to be super fucking rad. Um, and uh, check out Not Even a Show. I'm pranking radio hosts. And I think that's everything I'm doing these days. Um, so that's me. That's us. I'm Lux. I'm your host. Your co-host is Griffin Davis. Your guest is Jared Bauer. Your art and intro music. Your art. Or in, let me say that. Sorry. Go back. We're going to take that one time. Boy, repeat the outro. <laughs> Keep that, though. <laughs> All right. Well, goodbye, everyone. My name is Lux. I'm your host. Your co-host is Griffin Davis. Your guest is Jared Bauer. Your intro and outro music is by Matthew Morden. Your art is by Brittany Metz. And you are edited by Haley Clement. Goodbye, Internet. We love you very much. God of War. Boy. Boy. Boy, read that. Read, boy. Boy, subscribe to this podcast. Five-star review, boy. 